So the talk that uh, I'm going to give tonight, um, something I've been kind of working with and uh, interested in, and uh, some of you may have heard it, because it's a topic I've been working with. And I, I titled this talk, The Aggregates as Not-Self. Uh, so, you know, the, the, this term, the aggregate, is uh, something I've been, I've heard a lot in the Buddhist teachings, but haven't, uh, and have been investigating uh, in what does that mean. And, uh, and so I, I have studied it recently in this understanding of, the, of what's called anatta, Anatta is uh, the Buddha's teaching of not self, and you know it's original to the Buddha. It's actually what separated the Buddha from all the other teachings of his time. This idea of of, of not self, of no fixed and permanent uh, me or I or you. Uh, that there is really this uh, uh, kind of compiled, you know. list of of things of stuff that make up our human experience <clears throat> and they're uh, called the aggregates and it's one of the misunderstandings of not self is that this this understanding of not self is actually one of the biggest misunderstandings of our lives in the beginning of practice uh, the I is central to most of our thoughts feelings moods Plans, intentions, hopes, dreams. This, this. How can I be happy? Assuming that there is this kind of sustained I that goes through time. And the Buddha was like, "There is no I." So let go of trying uh, to kind of be any, get anything, or be anywhere. You know, this is kind of. This is kind of the main theme. <clears throat> so in one way, you know, n- nothing can seem more uh, self-evident, right? The I, we, we were taught this as children, uh, that, you know, you are this and you are that. You know, we, we, were t- we were kind of taught of having a fixed and permanent self. You are different from me and there's a separation there. Um, and... You know, it's kind of like a master idea. Uh, a master idea is like something that gets commonly uh, said to the point that it becomes kind of in everyone's consciousness. And then it just becomes believed. Uh, there's a couple examples I think about. Uh, one is uh, the, the, the sky is blue. The idea of the sky is blue, something that we all, you know, look, oh yeah, nice blue sky. But the sky actually isn't blue. But yet, we've heard it's blue. We we see what blue is. But where do we even know what blue is? You know, and kids, I, I actually see uh, small children sometimes. You know that the idea of you know what is this this that I'm seeing? What is this color? What is this shape? And then we there's other people always helping to identify. And that's the same way with this this idea of self. Another way that I think about it is the idea of, uh, of racism uh, is a master idea that for a time, it's not, it's not so much now, but for a time was presented as there, there was uh, some group, 
usually, you know, I mean, there's one group that is less than another group because of skin color or religious belief or whatever, and that had, and that becomes a master idea. Uh, and and definitely in this country and in this world, that has happened time and time again, where it just becomes, oh yeah, that's exactly the way it is. There's not even thought anything different. Um, so those are just a couple examples of, of kind of how uh, uh, we can get into you know what what is called identity view. We get kind of fixed in what uh, is commonly believed to be true, um, even if it's not true at all. And the more that we look at it, and that was, the, that was the, the Buddha's prescription for everything. Look and see for yourself, is it true? Don't just believe anything even that the Buddha said. Don't believe anything I say. And definitely don't believe anything I say as a person sitting up in front of the group. See for yourself. Is it true for you? These uh, things I'm talking about. So there's a common uh, description that the Buddha gave in this understanding of, of self versus not self. And he talks about uh, how a monk walking through the forest uh, would be startled and uh, fear would uh, overcome them as they see what they believe to be a snake in, on the path. And in, the, uh, in, in Asia, um, monks walk barefoot. And, and they walk at, at dawn every morning to get uh, alms rounds, to get food offerings so that they can survive. So they're all, it's like kind of like not exactly light and there's, you know, eyes play tricks, tricks on you. And um, so, so the Buddha described it like this. So as a monk would see what is believed to be a snake become startled and uh, fear comes over them. Um, and then as they kind of look for, look a little closer, look a little deeper into that experience, they find out it's not a snake at all. It's just a rope. But, but having believed it was a snake, there was fear uh, and there was a kind of a recoiling. And as soon as it was, there was a realization of, oh, it's not a snake at all. It's just a rope. Then there's a calm and an ease that comes over uh, the monk. Um, or us. So this idea of a fixed and permanent self uh, creates a little bit of danger, meaning that there is something that can be taken away. Right? There is a fear. Uh, and basically it's a fear of death is one of the things. And the Buddha uh, said you know, time and time again, like as long as we believe in a fixed and permanent self, um, then we'll fear death, which is inevitable. We all die. Anything that arises will pass away. This is the teaching of impermanence. That One of the three characteristics that the Buddha uh, gave, anatta, was another, this not-self. And then the existence of dukkha, right, of dissatisfaction with life, is another. So when we realize that there is no I, no fixed and permanent self, then we can relax and be more present in the moment. Right? Be more present for our life as it is right now, unfolding every new moment. Instead of being, you know, seeing how, oh, you know, I have to hold this identity together. Uh, and there's tons of examples. I'll give a lot more. So one of the ways is like, 
you know, thinking of the idea of, of identity view, like how tall are you? Like, how tall are you? Right? And immediately I think, I'm six foot. And then, so what is six foot? This is part of the inquiry practice. What, what actually is six foot? Well, the body, right? Not thoughts. Not compassion. You know. But the body is six foot. Okay, so am I the body? Well, the body changes over time. Actually, I, I used to be 6'1". <laughs> I'm getting smaller. It happens. As, as I saw with my grandfather. So then there's this, there's this identity with the body. I am the body. Okay, so then there's another kind of, there's just a couple other questions like, what color are your eyes? And I think immediately, you know, my eyes are brown. Okay, wait, so if I'm the body, how am I, what's the my in the eyes? It's a, that would be a part of the body, but yet, if it's my eyes, so am I now the owner of the body or just its parts? So this is just a way, a, a way that we um, kind of separate things. What mood are you in right now? What mood are you in? And just kind of note that for yourself. So again, this uh, this uh, uh, this uh, identity view of I. I am emotion. Am I happy? Am I sad? Bored? Is the I a mind state? Because where this is all true. We are having, you know, moods and emotions all the time. But no one mood or emotion that is sustained. It's constantly changing. It's actually what the Buddha referred to as a mind state. Thoughts, feelings, emotions arising and passing away rapidly. You know, even if uh, happy now, was I happy 10 minutes ago? Or, you know, was I sad? I may be angry now. Was I angry two days ago? So there's this idea of kind of we begin to see the spaces actually in between that we're not just anger, we're not just happiness or just sadness. There actually is, it's constantly changing. So how can I be my emotions if my emotions are constantly changing and with the idea of fixed and permanent self? These are just examples. So my feelings. That's the other thing. There's the mood, right? What mood am I in? And then there's, no, these are my feelings. Feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So there's the identity of, of, my, of my feelings. But do you, do you not feel sad, happy, joy? Why is it just mine? It's actually a collected, we all, in this human experience. So this is, again, kind of pointing to the idea of identity view and how we get a fixed and permanent idea of self, me and mine. So then there's also there's another view of the eye of the observer. And sometimes in meditation, we'll begin to kind of set back a little bit where the eye is, the, is that which is observing the breath, observing the feelings, observing the body sensations. Oh, so I'm the observer. You know, and, there's, and, that, and there actually is a, sometimes in meditation practice over a period of time, 
there, there gets to be the where you, you you can begin to see the rapid arising and passing away. But then there's the sense of I that is the observer. But you know, neuroscientists have looked and not found any one fixed and permanent I that is the observer behind the eyes in the you know in the head in the brain. But yet we tend to kind of get fixed on that. So these are all wrong. Not one. Not one of these things is is the I. The fixed and permanent. Sustaining over time. So the Buddha put it this way. In whatever way they conceive of self. The fact is ever other than that. In whatever way they conceive of self. The fact is ever other than that. So is it a thought? A fiction? It's useful to have an idea of of self. I mean, it's not like we can't, you know, we're not just this you know, energy being that is kind of floating through the world. There is, you know, there is substance here. Uh, I am, there is, I, I, I am different than you. My form is different than your form. And it's helpful if I walk to your car and think it's my car, right? Then it's Grand Theft Auto, right? <laughs> oh, this is my car. No, no, it's your car, right? Or my house and your house. So, I mean, it makes sense. We have to, we have, to have uh, some, uh, cl- you know, I- identity, right? We have personality. We all have a personality that is... Uh, 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 Compilation of how we were raised and you know what got inputted into our experience that makes us you know different. It's not that we're not different, but we're also not uh, uh, or not different. We're, we are different and we're not different. That there's this identity. It's kind of like the 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 rope or the snake. It's still something. It's just what we perceive it changes. The way we perceive it changes, and that's kind of. Uh, uh, really what we're talking about is that it's not there, there, there's, that there's no self because obviously there is you know there's a form sitting in front of you that has eyes and ears and you know thoughts and feelings and all these different things so the Buddha looked at that but he actually uh, when looking around um he didn't just see, like if you look around, you know, what do you see? I mean, look around, what do you see? You know, I see windows, a fan, people, 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 cushions. That he actually, when he looked around, he saw the parts that make up everything. That's kind of why he was a special dude. You know, because he kind of, it's like pulling back the, uh, the curtain on the great and powerful Oz. That was actually just this little, you know, little person who was scared, you know, whatever. But it, but before that, it was very it seemed as very different. So the Buddha was able to kind of really look at that. So another example uh, that comes, <clears throat> or example of that the Buddha gave around this kind of not self and like seeing the parts of human experience. As an example given uh, in the 
Vasudhimaga. Right? This is kind of a later teaching that came out of um, you know, some Buddhist masters after the Buddha's death. So it's a story about a butcher, and it basically talks about um, the way that a butcher sees a cow. That a butcher sees a cow, he doesn't see cow, cow as he's chopping, cow, cow. He doesn't see the whole, but actually sees rump, sirloin, you know, whatever the other parts are, flank steak. I mean, he sees the parts that he's cutting and sees it as its parts before it's separated, before it's broken down. So in the same way, um, one who has examined the mind and body can see the parts, right? Beyond the veil of self. And this is kind of what some of the goal of this uh, awareness. And it's really just to not take ourselves so seriously and be so locked in our identity. That's really what, what the teaching is. So the Buddha, the Buddha used the teaching of the five aggregates as, as uh, a teaching for wrong view. So believing in a fixed and permanent self, uh, the, the Buddha considered wrong view. Believing in uh, permanence, believing in um, that there is uh, not suffering in this world, uh, is wrong view. Not not seeing karma is considered wrong view. There's lots of examples, but the one specifically I'm going to focus on is anatta and it's not self. I think it's complicating. So the other thing is that this is not just a, an intellectual investigation, right? But we actually looked into it a little bit during the practice today. I asked you to kind of look at the senses, right? How they're moving through your experience. And really... That's all that we are. The senses that are moving through an experience. Who is experiencing? Well, we'll get into that. That's an important question. So the the Buddha talked about this being the path to peace. It is meant to free our hearts. It is an understanding of how we are put together and break apart. How all material things come together and break apart. The the key teaching um, of the Buddha about wise view is this understanding of the five aggregates. In short, the five aggregates affected by clinging are suffering. So when we cling to these uh, uh, components, then that's when when we have suffering. When we cling to uh, a feeling or an emotion, or, or, or push away even. Then dukkha arises, right? Suffering arises. So what are the aggregates, right? Like what does aggregate mean? I didn't even know what that meant. When I was like, aggregate? What the hell kind of word is that, you know? Um, and, the, and one of the ways it was described to me is like if you think about concrete, right? And it's, it's solid. It's a solid fixed. Uh, material, it feels that way. It's actually not. It's totally impermanent. It wears away. It breaks apart. But it seems solid. But it's actually comprised 
concrete is comprised of aggregates of different pieces to make it what it is and that and when those break apart as all things do this is a way to describe uh, what actually happens in our experience so uh, the Pali word right the, the, the Buddha's language means khandas uh, which also just means hump I mean heap or bundle uh, one of the ways I heard it described is five kinds of stuff that make up human experience so I'm going to go through those things so the first is material form, right? All composite things are are material, made of matter, right? Atoms, this bell, right? This floor, that statue, this body, a flower, all made of the same stuff. Really, actually, the elements. It's all made of the elements. The earth is solid form. The striker, this is a form we've given a label to it, I'll get to that in a minute, and the bell, two aspects of form. That's a third aspect of form. The sound wave that gets created when two uh, pieces of material form come together creates another. It's a little harder to kind of understand this form, but it, it, it is one. In between the sense object, I mean the yeah the object is the sound wave carrying its form. So that th- this is the material form. This is uh, the solid form. Everything else um, in in our experience is mental. Is a mental uh, form, mental phenomenon. So there's material form. Then there's feeling tone, which I kind of asked you to talk a little, or uh, explore a little bit about. In every moment, there is an expression of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. In every moment of our experience. And when we begin to kind of, you know, even just like trying to follow the breath and your mind wanders off the breath and then there's a feeling of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral that comes from that. right? Or, even, or being with the breath and feel, feeling really kind of uh, uh, getting into the breath, and then there's oh, a feeling of sense, a sense of calm or ease, pleasant experience may arise. Knee pain, unpleasant. Right? A bird, uh, the sound of a bird, oh, pleasant. Right, the sound of a, a bell ringing or a horn, you know, unpleasant or whatever the experience is, right? Or neutral, where there's there's neither pleasant or unpleasant happening, and unpleasant or uh, the the feeling of neutral, the feeling tone of neutral. Is often described as kind of boredom, you know, being bored in the moment, or there's not anything kind of that you're pushing away as unpleasant, or there's not anything that you're grasping to as pleasant, and kind of in between is that neutrality. It's a, it's a lot of where people are just kind of the mundane, bored, boring aspects of life. <coughs> you know, when things get to become routine, that happens a lot. Driving home and you know the route by heart, you're. And you just kind of space out. You ever done that? Then you get out, like I get to a place and I'm like, wow, I have no memory of <laughs> getting there. I have no memory of the the, the moment to moment experience of getting to from point A to point B. It just happened. Right. So that's a way of looking at kind of neutrality, feeling tone. So this is also. Uh, 
really connected, the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral is really connected to I want or I don't want. In every moment of experience, where, I, where, where there's a subtle feeling of, of I want or I don't want. Um, that really kind of rules our life. When we either cling or we push away. And, and so that's why this practice can be so helpful when we, when we can begin to see when those moments arise. And just be able to name them, label them, note them. Oh, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. When there's kind of neither pleasant or unpleasant. So we have material form, we have feeling tone, and then perception, right? And perception is looked at as uh, to see or recognize, right? Seeing something or recognizing it, labeling it based on past experience. So seeing visually, right? Light, form, color, shape. And then we interpret based on past experience. Like I said, I pointed to this thing and I said bell, right? But what else could that be? Bowl, yeah. Could be hat, right? Yeah, salad bowl, could be a monk's bowl. So it's not, it's just what, what we've interpreted it as. And that we do that all the time. Again, based on past experience, our perception of things. Our perception of things is when we see something and recognize it. And so there's this quality of uh, what, what in, in Buddhist practice and really in Zen practice is called beginner's mind. Kind of trying to approach every moment with new eyes as if you've never experienced the breath before. Oh, what's that like? Because we just go through life breathing. You know, we breathe from the birth date to our death date. We're breathing. But each, but when we can really focus on each breath or smell or sight or sound, then we can experience it new and become more curious of what's happening. But this is, uh, this is also, this is our perception, right? part of this uh, collection of experience. So, and, sen, and then uh, perception. Actually, the, the Buddha talked about um, four ways of misperception. Right? And some of these I already spoke a little bit to. So we see permanence where there is impermanence. So we see maybe this bell as, as being fixed and permanent. But it's actually not. It will pass away. It will disintegrate. Over time. That we see lasting happiness where there is unsatisfactoriness. This is where the clinging comes in. When we have you know, uh, some kind of uh, happy experience or, or, or uh, time in our lives. And then maybe the feeling of it going away. Then there's some clinging that happens and there's suffering because of that. So we, we, we want that to be lasting, even though you know, that which arises passes away. This is the Buddhist teaching. And when we cling to having something not pass away, um, one of my friends, Noah Levine, says we get rope burn. Right? That's the suffering. When we're holding on to something that will inevitably pass, we get rope burn. So uh, we see a self where there is a not where there's not a self. Right? So the, uh, this is one of the uh, misperceptions, one of the four misperceptions that the Buddha talked about, and this is what the main topic of this talk is, right? So and then we see beauty 
where there is not beauty. Because again, beauty is perception. Right? We see one, one person sees someone that seems beautiful or a thing that is beautiful. Another person sees absolutely disgusting. Not beautiful at all. And even the body. We see the body as, as, as beautiful sometimes. Right? Sometimes not. But we don't really want to focus. I mean, if we look at hair, nails, teeth, and skin, we generally think of you know beautification. But actually, you know, the, the teeth are corroding and turning. You know, there's constant uh, little mites and little bugs on the teeth trying to eat it away all the time. Bacteria. There's all these little little parasites on the skin. The hair is actually just cells that have been pushed through a follicle. And are di- are dead. You know, there is pus and blood, and bile, feces, all in the body. But yet we don't really focus on that. So we see the beautiful when there, you know, is things that are maybe not so beautiful. Again, perception. So one of the main teachings here is is to not rest in the labels. This is the theme of this beginner's mind. So uh, so mental formations is another uh, second to last, and mental formations, you know, it sounds kind of ooh mental formations, but it really just means thoughts, emotions, moods, states of mind. What the mind generates, right? Subtle qualities. And one of the ways that I've, I've heard it described, they're all just blips in the mind, but yet we preference our thoughts so much. Oh, I really need to think this. No, you don't. It can, you, don't have, you don't have to think it. It will think itself. Right? There's a popular book out there called Thoughts Without a Thinker. Like we have thoughts and there is no thinker. This is kind of the teachings of the Buddha. Right? We have perception. Right? We have all these other, these other pieces. But just to be able to see mental formations as they arise and pass away. And they're not all you know, bad. They're not bad. It's not bad or good. We have thoughts. We have moods. We have emotions. They arise. They pass away. Not fixed and permanent. They don't stay. So mental formations are really just thought of as... Things that go through the mind. So the last is consciousness. Right? And consciousness is, is the bare knowing of experience. Uh, the quality of knowing. It is, um, it is to know at each of the sense doors. right? So it's to know when hearing. To know when you're hearing. That actually consciousness... Uh, is the recognition of hearing or seeing or tasting or smelling. Uh, what we, all, we also kind of call aware, uh, awareness. The awareness of really is the byproduct of consciousness. And we all have consciousness. So it's also the idea that there's nothing just happening. That there is a conscious contact. So as something arises, there is a conscious. If we're if we're around, if it's not in our consciousness, then it's not happening. 
you know. So it is both uh, physical and known. So there has to be, you know, form and form come together for the consciousness of sound to arrive. If there is no sound, then there's no consciousness of it. But there's the consciousness is there present. And it could be kind of complicated, but that's the basic theme, right? So in every moment of experience. The, 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 every moment of experience that we're present for, this is consciousness. Consciousness is the reality of here and now, uh, as uh, Ajahn Sumedho says. He's a, like a great teacher in this uh, tradition. So why care about this? I mean, why does this matter? Right? Because it's all there is. There is nothing. There's no other parts in our experience, uh, in this Buddhist perspective, right? In the teaching of anatta, there is no other. Pers- there's nothing else there. We're just these experiences arising and passing away and working within each other all the time. But investigate it for yourself. Don't just believe me. You might not be. That's okay. The I isn't any one thing, right? Aggregates are born. They last for a time. They break away. One of the, There's a few examples um, I think about. One is like a car. We see a car, whatever kind of car. You know, a Porsche or a Lamborghini, right? We have this label for it. We have a perception of it, right? But it's really just, it's not a car actually. It's a bunch of parts. That come together to make a thing. And it lasts for a time and then the things break down and then there's new parts put in. You know, this happens to our bodies too. Right? A kidney goes and it gets replaced with another part. So is the eye the kidney? Is the engine of the car the car itself? No, it's it's all of the parts. So what's this? Parts. It's parts. Yeah. <laughs> parts. But what do we call this? What's the perception when we see it? Pen. Right. Right. But as you know, Eric intuited. Is this pen? Is this pen? Is this pen? No, they're, they're, they're parts, right? But when they come together, they create a pen. What we call pen, because we've labeled it pen for whatever reason, somebody said. But we're the same way. And it is only a pen for the time that it comes together. Eventually, the ink will, the cartridge will wear out. This little thing won't work anymore. It'll get thrown away, it'll get stepped on and crushed. And then it will cease to exist. And this is true of the parts that make up human experience. We believe we are the same 
and enduring over time. But is this true? Is this really true? Are we the same as we were when we were 10? Are our bodies the same? Maybe there's something. Personality? No, no, no. My personality is pretty different from when I was 20. Let alone 10. Because what's constantly perceiving, constantly changing. So this is kind of what the Buddha was pointing at. Look for yourself. What lasts? What lasts in this world? Change. Change. Right. Right. It's like the one thing. And that's really kind of what the Buddha was pointing to both in, uh, well, in the three characteristics of of existence, right? There is uh, this dissatisfaction with suffering, I mean, with life, right? That that is that is kind of inherent in this experience, and and the cause is the uh, clinging to that wanting things to not change, which they do, and wanting to have a fixed and permanent kind of ident- identity that will last forever. I want to live forever, right, and be happy forever. I don't know if that's so so true. I don't know if that's going to happen. Even within Buddhism, there's this idea of if I study Buddhism and I meditate really hard, I'm going to be happy. And I'm going to be happy forever. Right? The Buddha had pain, physical pain, some of which you're feeling right now. Even after his enlightenment, right? Awakening. There's no guarantee of, of blissful happiness. That's not the goal here. It's more like seeing clearly the rapid arising and passing away and being okay with that. Being at peace with the fact that I will die. And I don't have to fear it. And I'll be sad. And I don't have to fear it. And I'll be happy. And I don't have to cling to it. That's a really, it's more like the kind of a radical acceptance of just that which is obviously true, which we deny. So one, just a couple things, and then I want to open up for some questions, but... Some of the assumptions of, of self, right? That that the I is central, right? Uh, that there is a, a central I, uh, a, a solid. That we should be able to control our experience. We have this idea that we should control our experience. But can you? Maybe if you're like locked in a, you know, one of those... Uh, Chambers where you know you can control the temperature and the you know the amount of intake of you know everything that comes in. You can isolate yourself, but still, you can't control your experience because you'll still get sick, you'll still age, and you'll still die. I should be able to control my mind. 
There's this assumption, I should be able to control it. It's my mind. I should be able to control it. How's that working? Right? Oh, I'm not my mind either. I should be able to control the breath. We could do that for a time. You know, till we pass out and then start breathing again. You know. But we can't really control the breath either. What's that? I was mentioning my dad. Oh. That when he was a kid. breath or hyperventilate? Yeah, yeah. I used to love to do that when I was a kid. I used to hyperventilate until I passed, and then hold my breath, then pass out. And, you know, I was changing the way I was feeling. You know, I was trying to change the way I was feeling. Because I was dissatisfied with the way I was feeling before I did that. And then I got dissatisfied with that, and I moved on to harder drugs, you know, and so on and so forth. Because then I was constantly chasing, wanting to be satisfied. I don't know if that's true for your dad, but that was true for me. Yeah. Yeah. So just a few pieces that um, that also kind of come up around some of these experiences, right? Of, of the I am. I am this body. Are you really? We have so much embarrassment or pride and how tall we are in our eyes, how we look. But what did you really have to do with any of it? Right? You really didn't have a whole lot to do with the way you look. Maybe uh, weight, you know, based on kind of a little bit of lifestyle, diet and exercise. Right? But really your hair color, your eye color, your physical form, all was done long before you, past generations. Sperm and egg. Zygote. Alleles. Didn't have anything to do with our conscious effort. Really, the body just is. Just is the way it is. And the acceptance of that. Of course, you know, living healthily, getting enough sleep, you know, living in a way that is uh, going to be kind of wholesome and and, and lead to this kind of uh, uh, physical form lasting long enough to awaken to that which is true. That's really kind of, you know, in the Buddhist perspective, what the goal is. But that, but there's not a whole lot of personal uh, I in the creation of the body. Or I am emotion. You know, emotion is kind of a big deal to us. Not really. Not really. We all have emotions, and they're not really unique. We just maybe, it's kind of like, I, I think, you know, okay, so I'm happy, and then Curtis gets happy, and then Astrid gets happy, and then we just continues around the room, and we share the same emotions. Just We just feel them at different times, based on causes and conditions. But it's not, this is my emotion. And one of my favorites, I am awareness, right? I, this, is, this happens a lot in Buddhist circles. I am the clear awareness that's who I really am. Right? Back to that kind of the observer. Also not true. Right? I am not my awareness. It's just awareness. We all have awareness. 
but there's no real personal aspect to it. It's really all not very personal. It's kind of impersonal. So one of my, one of my uh, I'll close with this, one of my favorite teachings by uh, Jean Kabat-Zinn, um, who wrote a book, wrote lots of books, but one book um, called Coming to Our Senses. Right? It's a new, newer book out. And he says, like, shift, shit happens. Yeah? Things happen in this world. There is suffering. Right? All things change. So don't take it so personal. Because it's the when we take it personal that we're creating more suffering. So this whole teaching is pointed to um, seeing that, not taking it so personal. That where that there is no I, me and mine. And when we cling to wanting an I, me and mine, we suffer. Period. Plain. That's it. And when we can see it and let, and let it move through us, move through our experience, right? then we will be uh, a little more happy, a little more clear, maybe a little more calm, a little more peaceful. And this is what the Buddha was pointing to again and again and again. That when we have a fixed identity of me and mine, that we create suffering. And again, don't uh, take my word for it. Look in your own life and see if that's true. I got my feelings hurt. So I'm sad now. And I don't like you. Right? Alright, so. It's kind of enough for now. It's, I know it's a, it was like a kind of a heady topic and can be difficult to comprehend or understand, but... Um, over time, and maybe you guys got it right away. It took me years, you know. <laughs> and I still don't fully understand, you know. Um, like I said, I'm exploring this. Like I said in the beginning of my talk. So I want to open up for some questions about things I said, things you agree with, don't agree with, like, didn't like, whatever. I'm not my feelings, so I won't get hurt. <laughs> you mentioned something about. Great question. What's what's your name? I'm Dave. Dave. Yeah, thanks for asking. Because it's, I mean, shit does happen, right? Uh, we, you know, there is going to be loss. You know, there is going to be suffering in this world, and how we exactly deal with it, look at it, um, makes all the difference. Yeah. And so uh, one of the one of the ways that I kind of look at it, uh, I use I use a process called rain, right? Or well, I'll go through rain first because it's one of the things I use most often, which is recognize it. So don't deny what's happening, whether it's painful or pleasant or neutral. Don't deny it. Recognize it. Right? Um, and then allow it. So there's the seeing it, bringing consciousness to what's happening. Right? Uh, 
than the allowing of that feeling or emotion or difficulty to be present. It's not going to be any other way, actually. But when we try to deny it, then it actually just makes it worse. Right? To investigate, how does it feel in the body? Right? To really... So I'm feeling anger, or I'm feeling uh, pain, or sadness, grief. So how does that feel in the body? Right? So recognizing it, uh, allowing it, and then investigating it. Right? And then also non-identifying. So not saying, I am this pain. I am this, I am this anger. I was told I was anger. You're angry forever when I was young, right? And I'd, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm angry. And I'd go hit people and I'd you know, break stuff. I'm angry, you know? And so when I began, when I began to kind of separate a little bit or just step back a little bit, it's where that observer role can be helpful. It's not I, but it's helpful. Right, and it, it, it is it, it's it's awareness. So the not non-identifying will allow it to move through, because there is pain in life. You know, there is suffering. I mean, we all have experienced it. Maybe that's why we're here. You know, so thanks for asking that question. Because yeah, that I mean, that's the hard part, right? Is when we when it, when it's happening, when we're in the shit. You know, when our uh, lover left for another person. You know, or when we, you know, get fired from our job or, you know, whatever. To, to be able to, to uh, recognize and allow and investigate and not deny and then not identify, not become completely consumed with, with uh, that which is and allowing it to move through. That's my suggestion, yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah, it's rain. So it's recognize, allow, investigate, and non-identify. Yeah, yeah. I actually have a, on online, I have a whole talk about it. So you can kind of listen, listen to that if you want to. And yeah, it's very helpful. Yeah. On the Vipassana Santa Cruz website, yeah, under Dharma Talks. Yeah. It's called, uh, I don't know. It's not called rain. Power of Liberation. Liberation of power, something like that. <laughs> Any other uh, questions about the topic? Please. I just have a, a comment. Um, okay. If I understood. No, your, yeah. Please. Um, it seems like self can be understood as just like a frame of reference of how much we like sense and experience the world, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. also um, I think that the uh, element of time um, is really with respect to like impermanence or fixed meaning non wait meaning permanence because like we're always talking about in this practice like being in the moment and what is true in the moment and maybe yeah like your example about the bell like okay right now in the moment it's a permanent thing for me but if you think if you think about it with respect to like a hundred thousand years yeah okay it's not permanent it's gonna you know, changing. So, I don't know, I just, I think a lot of the beginning and the middle of the talk was, it was framed as though, it seemed like it was framed with the assumption that we all assume that everything is fixed. Mm. And I, I understood once you got to the end of the talk, like, why you were, you know, uh, developing it that way, mm-hmm. to make the point at the end. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I just, I know, it's just like almost everything you said, I was like, well, you can think about it that way instead, or that way instead, or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. 
But the end result of seeing, pointing to that there is no fixed permanent asterisk that is sustaining over time. Sure. I just take that for granted because I, I, I right. think about that. Right. It's an I, assumption that we yeah. all have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to live for as long as I'm going to live. And it's going to be, and then, but there's, and then, but then what happens after I die? Oh, it's the me that gets carried on. Some people are really attached to that. That I go to heaven. Or I go to hell. What's the matter of being attached to that? Because that is the creation of more suffering. In this perspective. In the Buddhist perspective. Explore that a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to believe it either. I mean, you know, that's the other thing, right? That there is no fixed and permanent you. That when the body breaks down, yeah. and the skin corrodes off the body, and the and and the bones and the organs disintegrate into the earth, there is no anything left. Memory in future generations. The memory. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And then that will kind of move forward. So memory in others. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh-huh. So the perception of you. What about the Buddha? Uh-huh. Right. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, but that statue that you pointed to isn't going to last forever either. But the concept. Mm-hmm. Concepts. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the earth is gone. But there's nothing on your own planet. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a concept within the human consciousness. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is not self. One day. But, well, but, yeah, but yeah. which is not self, right? That's the kind of the main point. Yeah. And you know what? You're totally, I mean, that's, the, it's a good direction to go. Right. And, 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 and who is saying but? Right now, me. <laughs> he, he is too. And, and why? Because it's like human nature to question and to think about things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Yeah. 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 It's true. So we'll continue to question. Yeah. Do that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the point of this talk, actually. Just to just to look a little deeper. And how we cannot suffer. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not trying to convince you. Yeah. Think what you want. It's great. Yeah, I know you will. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we, we need to end now. <laughs>